It happened to me once in a movie theater. Helene and I had flown to San Francisco to celebrate our son Michael's 30th birthday. Michael was a resident physician at Pacific Presbyterian Medical Center. The day after the party was miserable and cold, so we all decided to see a film. The movie Platoon had just opened and had received good reviews. Helene suggested that we see it. Michael, his wife Gail, David, our oldest son, Helene, and I went to the film together. I was not prepared for what I saw on the screen, nor for what happened to me. The movie was a devastating story of ground soldiers in Vietnam, their fight to survive the war, and their inner tormented battles to maintain some sense of humanity. I drifted off from time to time inward to my memory, a memory of war that I had carried for 41 years. As the screen showed bodies being thrown into a large pit, a bulldozer moving dirt and dead bodies into a mass grave, I started to cry uncontrollably. When the film ended, I couldn't get out of my seat. I sat there and sobbed for 15 minutes. Helene looked alarmed and kept stroking my head. When I calmed down, Michael asked, What happened, Dad? Are you all right? I'll be all right in a minute. It's just... The screen showed pictures that have been in my mind all these years. Japanese soldiers, mounds of them, slowly being pushed into mass graves on Iwo Jima. As soon as I was able, we left the theater and walked the rainy streets of San Francisco for an hour. Helene never let go of my hand. That night, I spoke to her about the war for the first time. In the spring of 1945, I flew my P-51 from Saipan to Iwo Jima to join the war against the Japanese. The Marines had landed on Iwo in February and secured a dirt runway at the foot of Mount Suribachi, memorialized by the famous photograph of Marines raising the flag on its summit. I was a member as a 78th fighter squadron assigned to the 7th Fighter Wing. Under the command of Brigadier General Mickey Moore, I landed on that dirt runway. We dive-bombed and strafed the Japanese defenders who were dug deeply into caves in the hillsides of the island. The Marine Mortuary was alongside our squadron base, and every day we saw truckloads of U.S. Marines killed in battle being brought in and laid out for identification and burial. Everywhere we looked, there were hills of bulldozed Japanese bodies, and the smell of death filled the air. Later, mass graves were dug, and the bodies were pushed into the ground and covered. We lived in foxholes dug into the sand and rock of the island. On the ground, we fought to survive terrifying bonsai raids, which were suicide attacks by sake-drunk Japanese defenders who thought it an honor to die, so long as they took as many enemy soldiers as possible with them. From the air, we dropped napalm into cave openings, driving the Japanese soldiers out to waiting marine rifle and mortar fire. We went to the front looking for souvenirs in the same caves we had dive-bombed and strafed. There we saw the results of flamethrowers freezing soldiers into hideous positions, and we attended memorial services for our fellow pilots, for whom the war had ended. 
What I saw in Iwo has remained with me ever since. Now, as the 747 approached Japan after the long flight over the Pacific from California, I asked the steward to see if he would get me into the cockpit. This is forbidden on domestic airlines, but permissible on some foreign carriers at the discretion of the captain. Please tell him an old World War II fighter pilot wants to see Japan again from a pilot's perspective to view Mount Fuji as he saw it on his first day in combat. A few minutes later, the steward returned with a message. The captain asks that you come up to the flight deck whenever you desire, Mr. Yellen. He will be delighted to have you. I left my seat immediately and entered the huge cockpit of this giant airliner. After introducing me to the co-pilot and the engineer, the captain extended an invitation to stay for the landing.